Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. Okay, some of you see that I walked up here with paper in hand. That's because I am elderly. I'm one of the ancient of days. I don't know how to work a tablet. And I freak out because I know as I flip the page, I'll get a news feed or something like that. Are you okay with me using paper? All right. Uh, I'd like to commend Joshua for the great job that he's doing on the, the series in Ephesians. We thank you for your teaching. It's exceptional. Thank you so much for that, for the grace of this church that would allow Pam and I uh, to come here. It's, uh, it's quite a treat. I don't know about you, uh, but oftentimes during the course of a worship set, there is a song or maybe the entire thing where the Spirit of God stirs my heart and I feel this yearning. Uh, to come. The last song that we sang, uh, O Come to the Altar. I want to let you know something. Towards the end of the service today, we're going to reprise that song, and you're going to be invited, actually, uh, to not only come and enjoy, participate in communion as a community, but also to come to a place where God Almighty might meet you, might meet me. I don't know if you're like me, but I can use an encounter with God anytime I can get one. Amen? Amen. Well, it's pretty obvious that I'm, I'm kind of elderly, so some of you young people may not understand the terminology that I'm going to use today. Has anybody here ever felt like you were experiencing the blues? The blues. If you're under 40, that means like bummed or meh, something like that. <laughs> Where you experience the blues... In fact, I understand that there's something called the post-adrenaline blues, where you have an event scheduled, a goal in mind, and you get to the event, and it comes and goes, or you achieve the goal, and it comes and goes, and then... (sighs) Pam and I ran the Portland Marathon. I know you think I'm lying. We really did. We ran the Portland Marathon in 93. I never ran a lick after that. The blues were brutal for me. It's pretty obvious I stopped running, but none of you need to say that out loud. (laughs) But there's also just kind of the standard doldrums, like February is known for doldrums. I mean, we got family and planning and Thanksgiving and family we want to be with and sometimes maybe family we don't want to be with and then we do the same thing for Christmas and then we do it for New Year's and then we just celebrated Lovey Lovey Day, which is awesome. But after that, sometimes we can experience the February blues. Now, the reason I want to talk about the blues today and how we might be able to beat the blues is because I think in my own experience, and I think we actually seen it borne out in scripture as well, but sometimes we make very, very poor decisions when we're experiencing the blues. We can develop a mindset of indifference, uh, maybe even anxious about things, um, We're dissatisfied, and I don't know about you, but when I'm dissatisfied or anxious or feeling a little bit indifferent, my desire is to take control of my circumstances and make life better because Tom knows best. (laughs) Ha ha. 
So today I want to look, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. I know we've been in Ephesians for a while, but we're going to go way back in the Old Testament to the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 15. And there's a pretty key character in there. His name is Abram, okay? This is before he got his name changed. So if I interpose the names, I'm sorry, it's supposed to be Abram. Anyhow, Abram, we find him hanging out at his tent, which is nothing wrong with that. And I know, even as I share, I'm going to bring in a little bit of speculation to what's going on in his life and his mind. But he's hanging out in the tent. And, uh, and I think uh, it's not much of a stretch to make the presupposition that Abram's experiencing the blues. And we'll read the text, and I'll kind of explain to you why I feel that way. Genesis 15, verse 1, just the first part of it. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Some other translations render that sometime later as opposed to after this. But like uh, Joshua reminded us last week about the word therefore, with the words after this or sometime later, we might as well ask the question, after what? Thanks for asking because I was going to tell you anyhow. <laughs> but there's a quick story about Abram's journey. Let's jump back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. This is where there's something called the, the Abrahamic promise, the initiation of a covenant, although it wasn't finalized until chapter 18. But nonetheless, this is uh, the word of the Lord to, to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. What a wonderful promise, huh? Such a good promise. It gets me excited thinking about it. Well, chapters 13 and 14, which is between the text that we're reading today and what we just read, a lot of crazy stuff happens. It's really weird stuff, kind of fun stuff, pretty exciting stuff. But Abram and his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot, they become extremely wealthy up to this time, and they continue to grow in wealth and possessions and offspring and all kinds of stuff, except for Abram and Sarai. So there's so much wealth in the two camps, Abrams and Lot's, that they have to separate company because it just isn't working between their tribesmen. So Lot moves away to the lovely community of Sodom. The ring a bell? It's not destroyed yet, but it's coming. And then four kings, they decide to attack Sodom and they wreak havoc on the people and they take Lot and they take a lot of other people away and all their possessions. And then Abram sends out his special forces. Uh, SEAL Team 318. Because 318 soldiers go and they totally uh, kick these guys uh, to the curb. They whoop up. They bring Lot back and all the possessions back. So following this, you know that, that Abram's feeling, man, this is a good victory. This is something where God has proven his power. In fact, Abram and Lot, they continue to expand in influence and wealth. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, uh, after that or sometime later, Abram ought to be doing the happy dance outside the tent. You know, you want me to do that for you? Maybe later. <laughs> but you know that feeling when you finally have success with something and victory with something, and then it's kind of like, oh. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if maybe Abram's not going, okay, like I was a warrior 
king, and then maybe this little sullen blues kind of thing falls over him. Maybe he had an Eeyore moment. Are there any Eeyores in the room? Okay, here's, here, thank you. I appreciate your honesty, sir. Jesus loves you anyhow. It's good. I'm an Eeyore kind of guy. I'm sure Abram's going, oh, no. What if the kings return and start shooting people again? Or maybe he said something like, well, God, what if you continue to leave me hanging on this promise about nations coming forth from me? Where's my kids? It's very possible. I'm not saying that it's biblically supported, but it's very possible that Abram's experiencing the blues. Okay, Genesis 15, 1 through 3. We're going to kind of sort of read it in one felled swoop. And here it goes. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. Let me pause there because God knew exactly, number one, where Abram was and what his need was, because he says, don't be afraid. May I submit to you that regardless of what you're facing, if it's related to the blues, maybe you're on the mountaintop. I'll tell you, if you're on the mountaintop, the blues are coming, so it's just part of this journey. But God knows your address. He knows your name, and he loves you, and he wants to intervene. And then God continues, I am your shield. I protected you in the past, I added that part. Your very great reward. So God is Abram's shield. He's our shield. God is Abram's reward. He's our reward. He's protected us in the past, and he has a favorable future for each and every one of us as individuals, but also collectively. Then we hear from Abram what's really troubling him, because this is what he says. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord. Would you say that phrase with me? Sovereign Lord. What can you give me since I remain childless? See, it's coming to the surface now. And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Abraham is clear that he's thinking unmet expectations, unfulfilled promises. Where are my offspring? How come the plan God promised me isn't happening the way I expected it to unfold? God told me, now I'm almost dead. Have you ever tried, uh, when you sense there's a promise of God for you in your life, have you ever tried to work out God's plans your way and your timing? Anybody ever do that? Am I the only sinner in the house? It happens. Sorry, guys. I'm choking myself on this little doohickey. All right. We're good. Anyhow, we can tend to feel the blues. So I want to talk about a few things uh, that we might consider and learn from this story about overcoming the blues. Number one is this. Remember, God has a plan even when we can't See it. This is a great time. If you like the phrase that you see, it is okay if you say, amen. Or if your faith is weak, you can go, amen. <laughs> or you can even scream. God has a plan for us individually and collectively as a church family, even if we can't see it. Amen? Yeah. 
It's good news. All right. Let's look at Genesis 4, or verse 4 of 15. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Him is Abram. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So to me, it's like God saying, okay, Abram, really, you were thinking it was going to be like a chief servant? You know what? If you just slow down and trust in me, my plans are way better than any plans you could develop. Has God ever had to say to you, yeah, I know you mean well, but I have a plan, and I want you to follow my plan and my timing. Abraham, or Abram, just like us, um, how many of you love the word when the Spirit of the Lord speaks to you and says, I want you to wait? <laughs> I know. It's like a curse word in the church or something. But oftentimes, God does his deepest work in our hearts and our lives when we're waiting and we're depending upon him. So, I had you repeat sovereign Lord with me. It's a, it's a theological term meaning this. All things are under God's rule. Nothing in our lives has slipped by undetected by God. In other words, you're going to find this as a shock. When you face difficulties in your life, God does not say, Oh, golly whoppers, I missed that one. It, we, I think that way sometimes. And like, God, I know you're kind of busy. You're on the throne. You got a whole world to run. But aren't you involved in my... And he is always involved. There's never a time that God is not at work in your life circumstances. In the circumstances of this beautiful church that we call in fact, there's two parts of God's sovereignty that we see at work in this story and the stories that he's writing in our lives. Uh, part A is God's plan. Part B is God's timing. I asked this a moment ago, but I would like to have an honest show of hands. Have you ever been frustrated with God's timing so you helped him out with his plan? <laughs> All right, the rest of you non-hand-raising sinners, you, come on. <laughs> we do that. It's kind of a human issue. Anyhow, God, I know you got a plan. I know I'm supposed to trust you. But God, this, this is my prayer. But God, you're really bad on the whole timing thing. I don't know about you. I have tried to make things happen or force things happen because, you know, in the American way, especially in Western civilizations, getting her done, making it happen, that kind of makes you something or whatever. And uh, let me tell you about me and making stuff happen. Uh, I do not lie. And so I know I'm going to offend some of you, but we're just getting started. I at least have another 23 weeks to do it again. <laughs> Life is good. Um, so I, I do not like to put things together. Anybody else in here with me? Furniture, appliances, electronics. I hate it. And, and there's a couple reasons why. This is the way I see it. So there's this beautiful diagram here that was put together by a person who sits in a cubicle, probably does not even know what a screwdriver is or a crescent wrench. And they put this thing together, and it's so precise and I'm not as precise as I need to be to like fully identify with the printed work and blueprint to do it right. So I either end up with extra pieces or not enough pieces. And it's tight. And then I force it. And like usually happens when I'm putting something together for the children. 
What happens when you force stuff? You break it. Well, I break it. So here's the life principle. Most things we force break. I know you guys really loved that one. So I'm going to say it again. Most things we force, we break. In fact, in chapter 16 and following in Genesis, Abram and Sarai are so convinced that it's their job to execute God's plan in their timing, they break something. In fact, the, out, the outflow of what they broke by having um, someone else uh, mother the baby still has ramifications in the Middle East and internationally to this day. When we force stuff, we bust stuff. So my question is, are some of you, any of you, one of you, trying to force or control God's plan or timing? Because I believe, since we're promised that God inhabits the praises of his people and that the Holy Spirit honors God's holy word, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts and minds throughout the course of our time together. If he's speaking something to you, listen closely. Respond accordingly. And don't forget, he is your shield and your reward. He is our shield and our reward. So remember, God has a plan even when we can't see it. And the second thing I'd like to submit to you is this. To see what could be, sometimes we've got to get away from what has been or is. Have you ever been so inundated with what is in your life right now that you can't see anywhere into the future with eyes of hope? Sometimes... We need to get away from what has been or is. Verse 5. He, that is God, took him who is Abram outside. That seems so strange to me. He took him outside. So think about this. Almighty God is having a conversation with a vision with Abram. And I'm pretty convinced that God could figure out a way to communicate with Abram inside the tent as easy as he could outside. So why take him outside? Could it be that the inside of the tent and the apparatus that holds it in place represents the grind, the mundane, the day-to-day, the what is right now or what was stuff that was hanging over Abram that can hang over us. You see, things like unmet expectations can get us in the blues and it can kind of tweak our hearts because we think that we deserve certain response from Almighty God and He is good and He is good all the time. But I will tell you this, in our own merit, we deserve nothing. But He gives us everything. Our God is so good. Okay, so God brings Abram outside the tent and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. I love this exchange between Almighty God and human frailty. 
Because I, I think there's a bit of humor in it. It's like, hey, I got a job for you, Abram. Look at the stars. Count them. Huh, by the way, I know you can't, but go ahead and count them anyhow. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. Now, I think Abram's been lamenting a little bit, been feeling a little blue. So God takes him outside, and it must be dark, because I don't think you can see stars in the daytime. Uh, and so, but can you see the exchange? You know, God Almighty says, Abram, look! Do you see that one? That's your son. Hey, you see that one over there? You see that one over there? That's your granddaughter. And, and you know what? The Bible bears this out as true. Hey, Abram, you see that star? That's 42 generations from now. That is the Messiah. That's the Messiah. So he, Abram's got to be pumped now. But God wanted him to see with fresh eyes because Abram couldn't see the abundance of God's promise while he was still inside the tent, still encapsulated in the mundane and the routine and the rote. And I'm wondering if God wants to jolt some of us, wants to shake some of us, nudging us out of our tent, as it were. Well, this is the way it should be. This is how I always function. The church should be doing this. The district should be doing that. Well, this is what we used to do in the past. Let me tell you something. What God wants to do in the future at West Side will eclipse whatever God has done in the past. Not by numbers, but by glorifying God Almighty because of the obedience of this congregation in serving Him. God will get the glory. God will get the credit. Somebody make some noise. Yeah, thank you. So I can go on now. I appreciate that. In fact, for some of you, maybe the best way you could spend some of, uh, some of the time over the course of this week is really get out of your tent. Step out of the routines of thinking and habitual recurring stuff and ask God to show you a favorable future. So in beating the blues, we got to remember God has a plan even when we can't see it. To see what could be, sometimes we've got to get away from what has been. And number three, I'd say in closing, but I have like three more pages, so we're kind of in closing. <laughs> Anyhow, number three, what God has for you can only be seen with eyes of faith. You know, some of us would say, oh, I've been hearing that in church my whole life. Let me tell you why you've been hearing that in church your whole life. Because it's true. We need eyes of faith. Verse 6 of chapter 15. Remember, Abram wasn't digging the, the plan and it's unfolding. He wasn't liking it. And the timing certainly wasn't there. But verse 6 says this, Abram believed the Lord. Abram exercised his faith in the Lord and he that is God credited it to him, Abram, as righteousness. How many of you like do enjoy doing them? I'm pretty sure it's called virtual reality goggle things. Anybody ever done that? Come on, will you just like participate a little bit? Okay, so yes, thank you so much. I see those hands. You guys are awesome people. Okay, so now I, I tried virtual VR glasses. I don't know. It's probably five or six years ago now, probably. 
And um, I had seen all the videos of people like doing all bunch of stupid when they got those glasses on. And so with some trepidation, because I, I kind of want to be a distinguished fellow, you know? I didn't want to like break a table or knock over a lamp, but Pam and I are at these people's house and okay, I'll do it. And their little boy was egging me on. And so he is, yeah, he's about uh, Mason's age right there. But anyhow, um, so Jacob is saying, come on, Pastor Tom, come on, Pastor Tom. So I put on the, I put on the VR goggles that don't look like this. Are you as embarrassed as I am right now? I know, it's ridiculous. But anyhow, so, so I put these things on, and I'm pretty sure... If I remember right, I had to go to about three months of counseling afterwards. But if I remember right, it was underwater. And there were like barracudas and they were like fish darting at me. And because it seemed so real, I had a hard time breathing. And then, though I'm not prone to motion sickness, I find myself, I'm going to hurl. I'm going to hurl in the middle of this thing. And then, honest, honest to goodness, a real live white shark bit my leg. <laughs> Off everything comes. It was, and the only way that I could see what I saw is because I had the right goggles. Sorry, you guys. I can't imagine how dorky that looked. But, <laughs> but anyhow, um, the only way that, uh, that I could see that stuff is because of the goggles that I had on. So here's a biblical principle. Let's see if this will fly. There are things that you and I cannot see without the goggles of faith. Yes, it passed muster. There are things that you and I cannot experience without the goggles of faith. And in fact, I would go so far as to say in God's economy, faith is a most valuable thing that we exercise. Now, to be clear, I, want to, I, want to clear, I do want to clarify something. I am not talking about faith in faith. I'm not talking about that. Or because I'm a spiritual person, I am a man or a woman of faith. I am talking about biblical faith, which is faith in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the authority of God's Precious holy word. Amen? So I'm not talking about faith in faith. Um, a, a familiar passage for many of us. The clock keeps ticking. All right. A familiar passage for many of us is in Hebrews 11. Uh, I think it's referred to as the faith chapter, the hall of faith. We're not going to read it in its entirety. And all the people said, amen. That's awesome. Verses 1 and 2. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Abram was one of the ancients. I know some of you young people, I know you're not going to say it out loud, but you're thinking, dude, you're one of the ancients. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> but when things don't happen in our timing, um, by our plan... We get frustrated, and I wonder if our frustration or impatience or this seasonal affective disorder, the blues, I wonder if it's because the object of our faith is not Almighty God, but it's something else. For example, 
well, God promised me a rose garden and I'm going to have no difficulties in my life. God never promised you that, so stop telling that to yourself. Well, surely if God loved Westside, we'd already have a pastor in place by now. Let me blow that out of the water. God loves Westside Faith Center. And he is guiding and orchestrating and directing things for a favorable future for this community. It's just his plan. Just because it doesn't align with our timing doesn't mean that God is not at work. Okay, more scripture. Let's read the story about Abram from the vantage point of the New Testament because the Apostle Paul writes about it in Romans 4, verse 18. The text says this, Against all hope... Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. That is a peculiar phrase. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. Is there a circumstance, a relationship, in your life. Maybe you got the blues because you thought you'd know by now who your next pastor was going to be. Or a career move. Or your children are going sideways and you've been praying for them and they're still going sideways. In fact, the more you pray, the more sideways it seems they go. Whatever the case might be. Maybe it's a health concern. Against all hope, in the face of daunting circumstances, perhaps the Lord is saying, in hope, believe. Believe me. Believe me. God has the power to do what he's promised. I don't know what each of you are facing. I know in a group this size, probably the challenges are a myriad. That's for sure. But I want to close with one final point. And here in a bit, when I pray, uh, we're going to invite the worship team to come up and uh, the prayer teams will come and we're going to enjoy communion together. But if you do take notes, this might be worth writing down. If you don't, uh, I don't know. Anyhow, (laughs) as I look at the plans that God had for Israel before Abram and Sarai conceived... The plans were magnificent. The timing was rather peculiar. There was all kinds of deception, uh, dishonesty, um, immorality, errors, sin. Yet, Almighty God still executed his plan. So what am I saying by mentioning that? The plans that God has for you and I individually, for our loved ones, for this beautiful worshiping community, they are not fragile. They are not fragile. God is going to come through. God is going to do. And God is going to take all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise because it is due him. Amen? Amen.
you have enough faith to say amen. Good job, everybody. Well, let's pray together, and, uh, and the teams will get in place, and then I'll give you a little further instruction. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your holy word. Thank you for community. Uh, thank you that uh, because of your faithfulness, we know that the spirit of the Most High God is in this dwelling. He's even moving about in very gracious and humble uh, manner to speak to our hearts. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I want to ask directly, nobody's looking around, please, this is kind of a private moment, but I want to ask directly to this precious family, are there some of you who've been battling the blues? I'm not going to ask you to say what it is, that's between you and the Lord. But I am going to ask you to raise your hand heavenward. Just hold them up. God bless you. Thanks for your honesty. Continue to lift them heavenward just a little bit longer. I won't make you keep it up there so long that you get a cramp. I promise. I promise. God bless you. In fact, before you raise your hand, God knew what was going on in your heart. You can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, thank you for the transparency and the honesty of these, your kids, who have said, I got the blues. I need you to intervene. Father, glorify yourself. Manifest your power in our lives individually, as married couples, as families, as a church community. Lord God, I pray that we would all scratch our heads in wonder at how good you are as you stir our faith. We bless your holy name forever and ever and ever. And God's kids said, amen and amen.